Welcome to the Psychosphere. My name is David Sutcliffe, and my guest today is Cordell Jacks. Cordell is a dream coach, sharing his lifelong passion of studying the practices, psychology, science, and global lineages of dream work. He helps people utilize their nightly ceremonies and visions in an effort to uncover the subconscious narratives and limiting beliefs that are holding them back from living into their greatest potential. He teaches people how to access and work their dreams, transforming the two most important hours of the day, those spent in dreams, into a powerful medium for personal growth, healing, and self-discovery. Cordell works with individuals and organizations, offering courses, workshops, private coaching, and dream interpretation sessions. He has been practicing dream work for over 20 years and has studied under a multitude of teachers. And he is living the dream as a husband and father to a beautiful two-year-old daughter on Vancouver Island. Please enjoy my conversation with the fascinating, intelligent Cordell Jacks. You in LA today? No, man. I just moved to Austin. Oh, hey, congratulations. I'm in Austin, Texas. Yeah, I got here three weeks ago. I don't have any furniture yet. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's arriving apparently, I don't know, soon, I hope. I'm, so I've been in this furn- furnitureless house for three weeks camping out. <laughs> very zen. It's very zen, yeah. Where, you're in Vancouver Island. One Vancouver Island now, not too far from uh, where we met. Yes. Well, let's, let's, where did we meet? We met, did I, I did I meet you at the isolation or at just the, it was yeah, that, the, right? The dieta. The dieta. Are you open to talking about that? Totally. Well, well, maybe we could just start, well, first, maybe you want to, uh, and I, of course I'll have done an intro and I'll uh, introduce you and explain everything, but maybe you want to just say a little bit about what that was. Sure. Um, before we start recording? Yeah, we're recording. We're going. We're, okay. we're, we're rolling. We're going to roll right in. Go. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that would have been 2015, 2016 for us. Uh-huh. Must have been 2016. Two, and, 2000, uh, maybe 2017, actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So a few years back. And yeah, that was a, a weekend of plant medicines. I was working with Ronan and uh, it was an ayahuasca retreat. And I guess about a dozen of us or so were going into dieta. And for those of our listeners here that don't know dieta, that's where we're really developing a relationship with a plant. Yeah. And all of us went off into the bush for four days of fasting and meditating and prayer and really making a connection with these different plants that we dieted. And that's a big part of the ayahuasca work is the shamans, the ayahuascaros, you know, over time, they develop relationships with all these different plants. And these plants have different characteristics. You can imagine, just for example, the difference between a willow, which is very flexible and bendable. And so those of us that are very staunch in our ways, maybe we need some willow in our life. Maybe we can learn from this plant. And then those of us that are a little too flexible, maybe we need some big, sturdy oak in our life, some, some deep grandfather wisdom and uh, maybe stick to our guns and know our boundaries a little bit more. And so on that weekend, do you remember what you dieted? Makuro. Makuro. Yeah, Makuro. And the only, I didn't know what it was. Uh, I I went to this uh, retreat, this week long, 
to face some fear. I didn't exactly know what it was, but a lot of fear had been coming up in my life. And I'd been sitting with the medicine for a couple of years at that point. In my last 10, 12 ceremonies, it, I, I drank and instantly went into like a hell realm of terror. And I knew that I must have had some, uh, maybe some pre-verbal terror that I hadn't dealt with, something that was hard to get to through uh, traditional psychotherapy or even the somatic psychotherapy that I do. And uh, so I was going to this retreat specifically. It's like, okay, I want to I face whatever this fear is. I want to feel this fear. I want to come out the other side. And so when they were talking about all the different plants, all I heard was this one is for fear. And I was like, I'll take that one. That's the one. <laughs> and so that's all I really remember. And it was, it had a very garlicky uh, mm -hmm. taste. And uh, yeah, we drank it every day while we were, well, the first night, the first ceremony you drink for the first time, and then they would bring it to you uh, every day when you were out uh, in the woods by yourself and, uh, and you would drink. Yes. And as you said, develop a relationship, with it and pray about it and and the characteristics i guess uh of that plant that it holds the energy the vibration uh yeah. it has an impact on you and you can you learn from it they're teachers teacher plants yeah and i, I remember if you don't mind me, me sharing i remember at the end of that weekend you telling me that you did have some some connection some vision to some pre-verbal some very early childhood I remember if it was in the crib or when you were very young and, and your mother coming down over you. And so I remember there was a big, a big shift, a big learning for you there. Yeah, it was huge. It was huge. That second night out. And I should just say about the structure of this uh, event. It's like we, we got there, there was a, a sort of an introduction and then we sat in ceremony that night. And when the ceremony was over, which was, you know, uh, in the morning, early morning light, we all went up to our spots in the woods and then we were there for five days yeah. alone. And for those days fasting on the fifth day, we got a little soup and uh, porridge in the morning, uh, porridge in the morning, soup at night. And then we sat on the fifth night. And then again on the sixth night. Um, and that was the retreat. And, you know, the isolation was also, a big part of it. I mean, you're out, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to distract you from anything. I mean, you mm -hmm. had a journal and yeah. I had a hand. Did you have a hammock? I did not have a hammock. You did there. not. Sitting in the mud. Oh my God. Meditating. And that was my first diet as well. Uh huh. Yeah. You've got nothing to do, but sit with your thoughts. And that can be a scary thing for many people. How it was scary for me. <laughs> How was it for you? It was fantastic. I dieted a, a plant, uh, Chirik Sanango, uh, which is a plant indigenous to Central and South America. And I had gone in, you know, doing a lot of research going, okay, this is the plant I want to diet, not Chirik Sanango. There was other plants in my mind. And then the maestro said, you know, this was his master teacher plant. This is the plant he dieted 40 times. And there was something that was seeded, incepted in me. I was like, oh, well, I want that. Whether right. it was or, or whatever it was, well, if it's good enough for him, and this is his teacher plan, I want to learn. And I think that was, that curiosity uh, was important, I think, you know, not knowing what I was getting into, really not knowing what I was getting into. I remember at the end of closing the ceremonies and I'm going, okay, well, what's the restrictions getting out of this? Well, you keep the diet for three weeks, no sex, no red meat, no salts, no sugars, all of these different restrictions as you're coming back from the plant world, from the spirit world. 
And uh, then, then the maestro said, and no pork ever again. And I said, what? Was, uh, I thought he was joking. And it was like, yeah, no pork ever again. You didn't wow. know? I had no idea. I would have had a farewell to pork party. I would have had a pepperoni pizza or something. And some ribs. And it, it kind of dawned on me at that point, oh, this is a change. This is a big shift. Just that mm. little thing was indicative of where my connection was with the medicine, where I was going, medicine, where I was going with some of the spirit work. And from there, it's continued on these last four years or so uh, much, much more deeply. And I'm glad to hear that that was a big piece of fear, uh, fear work for you, because I was hoping that might be some of what we chatted about today, because I think that's a big part of this work. The medicine work is, is working with fear. It's a big part of my work with dream work, uh, delving into our subconscious mind, looking at our unconscious fears. And I remember that maestro saying to me when he started apprenticing under his teacher, he said, okay, well, you're, you're entering a path and it's David versus Goliath and Goliath is your fears. And it's a continuous understanding and exploration and stepping into your fears into a deeper and deeper way. And I think that's, uh, that's very apt for what my experiences have been with the plant medicines. What, what drew you originally to begin working with plant medicines? You know, as cliche as it sounds, they, a lot of people say, ayahuasca, you'll know when it's right. It'll call you rather than you seeking it out. And I had spent about seven years in international development, living uh, an incredible lifestyle. My wife and I were based, my partner at that time, uh, and I were based in Cambodia. We were doing international development work in water and sanitation. And for seven years, everything we touched just opened doors and open windows. We, we went from this little project in Cambodia, teaching people how to build latrines and creating sustainable marketplaces to get, you know, sanitation into these countries where it was the leading, the second leading uh, killer of children under five diarrheal related diseases. We ended up taking this to nine countries across Asia and Africa. We built up a team of 350 people. We had huge budgets. It was just things just kept happening for us and it felt really aligned. It felt good to be making that kind of impact. And then at the end of these seven years, uh, we were asked to, to come to Denver, Colorado, where our international headquarters were. And there was just something about this time and maybe it's the seven year cycles in life, but it just, it seemed like, no, you know what? This was beautiful. It's time to move forward. And at that time I was an Ironman triathlete. Life was just charging. Life was jazzing. And at that time I had a knee injury and I went through five different knee surgeries in a year. I was in bed rest for nine straight months. I couldn't get out of bed. And at the end of it, I lost my ability to run. My knee has never, never been repaired. And that was a big part of my identity. I was playing in bands. I could no longer jump around on stage. I couldn't do Ironman anymore. I just decided to leave a career, which was a big part of my identity. And all of those pieces being removed, it was too many foundations for me. And so I was I was lost and I was feeling really depressed. And uh, after this last surgery, I was back in Canada at my parents' place recovering. And I was watching a documentary on ayahuasca. And I'd heard of ayahuasca before. Uh, and it was this documentary with Dr. Gabor Mate, a trauma specialist. And I was fascinated by the work that he was doing with ayahuasca. And he was treating patients in Vancouver's downtown east side, a big uh, heroin den. And uh, essentially, a couple of weeks later, my wife and I started a year-long sabbatical. We were down in Cabo San Lucas for some surfing, 
and met a woman who was part of our crew. I'd never met her before. And I was telling her about this documentary. And she said, oh, well, that's my father, Dr. Dr. Mate. If you're interested in working with the practitioners that he's been working with for years, they're having ceremonies here in Mexico in a couple of weeks. I'll put you in contact. And that just seemed like a, a serendipitous opening. Right. And so my wife and I made a beeline down uh, to the ceremonies. And from that point forward, we always talk about it as uh, BA and AA before ayahuasca, life before ayahuasca and AA after ayahuasca. And those, we spent two weeks down there. It changed our life so tremendously. Uh, it really helped me come to grips with this new identity I was trying to create mm-hmm. for myself, all these pieces of loss and grief that I was dealing with. And I think ultimately more so than any of that personal work that I was doing, there was something about it which just restored this sense of awe, this sense of mystery in the universe that had been lost to me for some time. I became a very rational, business-oriented, linear-thinking person. And when my first night with the medicine, I was just going, holy cow, there's a whole lot more out there than I had given credit to. And that sense of awe just opened my curiosity again. And so it was like a new life, a whole new opening to start exploring and getting curious about life again. Yeah, I had a, a similar experience the first time I uh, sat with ayahuasca. It, it 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 began the process of me rediscovering God, whatever that may mean. Uh, you know, I don't. Know, I'm not even sure what that means. But the the great mystery, the unknown, uh, the whatever is bigger than us, and that there's an intelligence. I mean, that's that's the thing that most. Uh, stayed with me after the first time, like, oh, there is an intelligence here that yeah. it is giving me access to. And it, it, it and an, yes, another realm, realms beyond and beyond that I, I can't even comprehend, but it just shows you. And, and I felt the way a lot of people feel is that that is more real than the real world. Like that's, what's actually real. This is the illusion and Mm -hmm. trying to integrate that into your life is not not an easy thing but you can't forget it like that's you know exactly like ba and aa exactly right um and yeah it set me on a path for sure have you Um, you continued working with the medicine well yeah since that i mean that time right after that i mean an amazing story i um while I was up there in the isolation, I got a, a message, a very clear message, which was, you need to leave the place that you are currently living. I was living, I had this great loft in Venice, five minute walk to the beach, it's just cool. And Venice was like the hippest spot in LA at the time. Mm-hmm. And it just said, you know, you gotta leave this spot. And so I was like, okay, and it felt right. And when I came, when it was over, literally that day, I made the call and uh, gave my notice. And then I came back to my place. I had 30 days to get out. And I didn't know where I was going to live. And I started looking online for places. And I said, you know what? I I don't want to, I'm going to trust that something's going to come. And then a friend of mine, he'd been down in Peru working with this guy that I sort of knew I'd sat with a couple of times. And I thought he was just incredible. And we had this real connection. His name was Tete, Shapibo, you know, Shapibo Maestro, right? And this guy tells me, 
oh, well, you know, Tete's looking for a roommate. Mm-hmm. And I knew immediately like, okay, here we go. So I moved in with Tete. So yes, is my medicine <laughs> work continued? Yeah, I lived two, year with the, two years with the Shapiro Maestro. So I had the, the real pleasure and opportunity, you know, to, uh, you know, Friday night. Uh-huh. He's like on, you know, on Wednesdays, like, hey, you know, I got, a, I got some new medicine. I want to test it out. Do you want to sit Friday? And just me and him in the back little medicine room would just sit and having those kind of really casual ceremonies where it was such a privilege. So I had so many powerful experience and he's very committed, very deep guy, but brilliant musician. So yeah, I, I've continued on lately, less so in the last year. Uh, I don't know exactly why, just not, not feeling the call as much. Maybe I, I, I got what I needed and there's, there's other yeah. things uh, for me now. And that feels true, but there was a four year period where I was pretty, pretty consistent and regular and, and really entered into that world and that realm and was part of, uh, different communities and, uh, got a lot from it and, uh, picked up, uh, started working with the Lakota man and learned, you know, I, I mean, I'm up over a hundred Lakota songs now. Wow. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's completely changed my life. It's changed the nature of the work that I do. You know, I'm a core energetics uh, practitioner, somatic psychotherapist, and it's added a whole other layer. And, and, and part of the work is figuring out how to integrate all of that knowledge and information into the work that I'm doing. Uh, and slowly I'm doing that, but, uh, you know, it's been incredibly powerful for me. And, uh, you know, it's, again, I always say to people and and people listening, it's not for everyone. (laughs) It's definitely not for everyone. And to be very extremely discerning. Um, and I, I I do think, uh, you know, you, if you feel the call, it will find you as it found you and to trust that. And, uh, and, and that that's the best way to approach it. And that may not make sense to you if you've never uh, sat with ayahuasca, but after you've sat with ayahuasca, it'll make perfect sense. It, it introduces you to these deep, deep mysteries of yeah. life that is, uh, it can be scary, but it's also at the end of the day, it's, it's so heart opening and uh, just, yeah, opens you up to the beautiful mystery of, of life. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't say it any better than that. And and just, you know, it's a fine tension. My my partner and I came out of those ceremonies, and for the first months we were telling everyone we knew, we we're like, holy cow, yeah, you gotta try this, you gotta do this. And you know, some people, okay, interesting. I, I trust your your credibility in this, and and some people with the, the cockeyed you know, look. And it was, you know, soon after that we were kind of realizing, yeah, we gotta trust that this will come if people want to know. They'll ask about it, and if it's right for them, that'll come to them. But it's not ours to to put out there, nor should it be. And yeah. as much as it sounds, you and I speaking about this, a little woo-woo in terms of you just got to know, you got to trust, you got to see. That's that, Those are some big leaps of faith for some people to, mm-hmm. to just assume or to take on. Um, but again, if it calls, you, you'll know. Did you grow up in a uh, household or in an environment where this kind of woo-woo, as you say, like, were, was it, were you guys open to that or was something completely different? Completely different. I grew up in a very, 
Uh, I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. So from those American listeners of ours that don't know, that's just above North America, flat, flat plains, six, seven months of freezing cold winter. It's winter pig for many people. We were, it was a traditional business family, no religion, uh, nothing spiritual in our family whatsoever. I did end up going on a football scholarship to a, a Jesuit boys high school. And that was my first opening and it wasn't a great opening for me, you know, Jesuit, Catholic, priests, some interest, but very, as a non-Catholic, treated as a bit of an outsider. And, but, you know, it was, it was an open place to study world religions and spirituality. And so that was kind of my first taste of, of anything as such. And then, uh, yeah, it wasn't until this that, you know, you said you're, you, the word God, that, that word had never entered my vocabulary before. And it's a word that I am continuously processing and digging into and trying to understand. Um, but all of a sudden, something more, something about creation started entering my vernacular. And since then, it's just been, it's been the most exciting, the most beautiful journey of exploration of what is omnipotence, what is ever-presence, what is creation, what is all of this? Having a two-year-old daughter now uh, understanding a little bit more or from a different angle, the, the act of creation has just been a beautiful way to um, put that into practice and reality. What does it mean to create? What does it mean to have this idea notion of who we are, what we are, what this big mystery is around us? And again, there's something important, I think, about the word mystery, because with mystery, you stand back and you question, you know, you get your, your, your question-making faculties going. Again, that curiosity, that that awe. What is awe but reverence and fear? Mm. There's a little bit of humbleness that comes with that. And that curiosity, I think, is beautiful. That's that's when we're at our most creative, our most imaginative. And I think that's a big part of what makes us so special as a species when we start really dipping into that imaginative place, that curious space. Yeah, it's it you know makes me think of the other observation that I had the first time that I sat with ayahuasca, which was, this is here for a reason. This isn't random. Mm -hmm. There's meaning to this and, and there must be meaning to the fact that we are discovering it, uh, at least the Westerners now, and it's becoming so prevalent that we are in some awakening yeah. and this medicine and, and other things are, are helping us wake up. There's it's, for whatever reason, uh, we are being asked to evolve, uh, in our consciousness and, and we're doing that in all kinds of different ways, spiritual, technological, financial. I mean, I would argue mm -hmm. that Bitcoin is a kind of evolution of the financial system. There's so much going on. It's happened so quickly. And it feels like many of us are answering the call and leaving uh, a life behind us, an old life behind us and stepping into something new. And that's certainly true for you. Uh, you've started this dream work practice teaching about dreams and you've, you've, you've gone all in on it. And maybe tell me a little bit about how you came to that and, and what drew you to it. And, and then yeah, maybe we can yeah. talk a little bit about the nature of, of the work that you do. Yeah, a bit of backtracking on that. You know, working with ayahuasca uh, is a lot for me. And my experience has been working with these visions, taking mm. you know, this, this entheogenic 
plant medicine, having these altered state experiences, having these visions, um, things that I can't explain for the best of my abilities after all of these years, but really starting to trust these visions, really starting to see how these visions come to teach me, to heal, to show me wider narratives, better narratives for my life. And it was a couple of years ago, uh, I was living in Vancouver and I went into some ceremonies to dig into some trauma that I had when I was 11 years old. And just to say a piece about that, when I was 11, my family, um, they lost a big national company that they were running. It went bankrupt completely unexpectedly. Um, we moved homes. There was, my dad got sick trying to save the company for four years. He did everything he could to save this. And then uh, for four years, he was in a, a psych ward. He, was, he ended up getting healed through electric shock therapy after they tried experimental pharmaceuticals on him. Wow. And finally shocked him out of it. And during that time, as an 11-year-old to a 15-year-old, there was just a lot of insecurities, instabilities. And I started to, with the work of the medicine and therapy and other modalities as well, start to see how that really was installed some core limiting beliefs in my life, some insecurities. And so as I started working with that, I, I really prepared to go into a weekend of ceremonies, three nights of just, okay, I'm just going to sit with all of those emotions from when I was 11. And for three nights straight, all I got was this download of, hey, you know, those dream work practices you've been studying for 20 years, you got to start sharing them. And I was like, okay, this is my mind trying to escape, trying to not feel all of those hard emotions, trying to do anything I can to not go into this. And, you know, I'd been working with the medicine for years. I kind of thought, okay, well, one night, that's fine. I'm going back into it with double resolve tonight. Next night, just visions and downloads of, hey, the lucid dreaming, the dream interpretation, all these practices, it's time to start sharing that. Three nights, I got out of that and I said, I don't know what, what's going on here. I don't know what to do with this. Then about six months later, I, uh, I had a dream. I had a big, profound, the most healing experience of my life. And it was me with my inner child, my 11-year-old self. I was somewhat lucid in the dream. And I was able to just see this crying, scared, terrified little boy hold him and just say, hey, none of this is your fault. Everything's going to be okay. You are loved. And I just held it and cried, this little boy, cried with this little boy. And as I held him, we just dissolved into each other. And I woke up. And in that moment, it was the most transformative moment of my life. My, my perspectives, my operating system, my narratives about life had shifted in an instant. It was, it was incredibly healing. I, I saw things. I saw stories that had been installed for so long all of a sudden disappear, all of a sudden expand. And it was in that moment I was just going, okay, I get it. I've been doing dream practices for 20 years. I knew there was the potential to do a lot of healing work with dreams. I worked with subconscious narratives, but I'd never had such a deep and profound healing experience. And I woke up and I just went, okay, we've got ceremony every night. Right. We've got the opportunity to work with those same visions. You know, it's different for sure. But if I'm going to work with ayahuasca in this way, I might as well be working with my nightly visions in this way as well. And that's what kind of clicked for me. It's time to take a really big leap of faith and what was really scary to me and to turn my life over to these visions, to turn my life over, not to, okay, this is something I do once in a while and learn from, but I'm going to trust those visions that came in those three nights. I'm going to trust this dream. 
I'm going to now start to show other people how to work with these visions. And what does it mean to turn this over to your subconscious mind, to the collective unconscious, to your higher self, however you want to frame it, to source, to creation. It doesn't matter to me. It's all kind of the same. But what does it mean to actually turn your life over to something beyond your rational waking mind? And what does that look like? And that's been the most profound work, the most nourishing work that I've ever done. It's my work continuously put in, on my plate every single day as I help and teach others how to access and use their dreams for their own growth and healing. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. And just the, the act of surrender, like I'm going to, well, you had this incredibly powerful transformative experience through a dream. And then you had all this prompting from these ceremonies. Yeah. I can imagine why you would uh, begin to trust that and go into it. Obviously, the, the call is there and you're answering it. Nevertheless, to say, I'm going to surrender to the information, to the call that I get from my dreams, you know, the visions that I get, I'm going to follow that, you know, like uh, releasing your rational mind. But I think that's what's happening. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, somebody else might say, you know, I give my life over to God or you give it to sure. God, you follow, you trust, you surrender. I mean, this is an idea that, that is expressed in a lot of different ways. And it's the thing that I, I feel like that I struggle with the most, right? It's like, I want to surrender. I know that's the right thing to do, but it's, it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> it's like, sur like just, I'm going to give my life and I do it. I do do it. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm here in Austin. Why am I in Austin? Because I had a bunch of fucking, I asked God for signs and I got a bunch of signs. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to Austin. And I got here. I fucking freaked out. I had like three of the most difficult nights of my life, just terror. And, you know, I took a little mushroom. I took a, a like a quite a big mushroom actually. And I went to a float tank. You ever done that? That's a thing. I have. Oh my God. And I just let myself feel, feel all the terror and, uh, and it was not pleasant, but you know, it's, it was just old story, right? Totally. Like old, like, and I'm, you know, trying to step into something new and, and all of that. But, uh, this act of surrender of giving over is, I just find it so interesting. And so it's so profound and, trusting the wisdom of our dreams. Yeah. yeah I mean, what so, are dreams? Like what, what, like you must, you've probably gone through all these questions, but what are they? Yeah. So we, we know a lot about dreams. We've learned in the last century or two that dreams help us with emotional processing. Dreams help us with consolidating memories. Dreams help us with threat rehearsal, things that we might want to prepare ourselves for. We've learned a lot. There's a lot of good academic study and research. And despite all of the scientific and research advancements we've made, you ask any sleep laboratory, any technician, any researcher, we have no clue still. That's a small piece of this. Now, dreams is kind of opens up a can of worms, but a lot of people from Freud and the young and the psychological movement, you know, dreams are aspects of our subconscious mind. Dreams are the bubblings of the subconscious narratives, these limiting beliefs, these undertones and, and stories that we tell ourselves that truly dictate 
most of our behaviors, most of our attitudes and most of our life, they're the projections at mm-hmm. night of seeing these things. You know, our prefrontal cortex, our CEO brain, our, our editor, our critic, our, our rational mind is shut down in sleep. And so when that guard is down, all of these things get to pop up and present themselves to us. And so there's a lot of my belief and many others in the dream world that this is your inner guidance system, yeah. whether it's your, your, your subconscious mind or, you know, the innate wisdom in our epigenetics and DNA of 4.5 billion years, we've figured out throughout all of our lineage, how to survive in the world, how to survive in social interaction. And this inner guidance system is projecting all of these stories that we've created, all of these limiting beliefs for us to mine, for us mm-hmm. to look at. And really when, when dreams come up, a big part of my belief is that when dream come, dreams come up, they're emotionally charged. They can stir in us emotions. And if you've ever had a nightmare, you know this very, very well, the emotional charge. Well, just like the ayahuasca ceremonies that we've been in, you know, that, that group that we sat together with, it's funny, they, they use a lot of Gabor Mate's compassionate inquiry. They use a lot of integration approaches, you know, bringing, bringing the best of South America and the best of Western psychology together. And it's always interesting. It's always kind of funny because when the practitioners are doing this integration work, they always say, I don't really care what you saw. I want to know what it triggered. How did it make you feel? Mm. That's true of our dreams as well. It's, there's all these different symbols and metaphors and similes that come up, but ultimately the underlying currency of what we're looking for is the emotional charge, the mm. emotional triggerings that they bring up. That's where there's something there for us. That's where we've, if we look at the subconscious mind, we've buried a lot of emotional experiences that were overwhelming, that we wanted to dissociate from, repress, suppress, deny. These emotional charges stick with us in our body and they come up at night in these strange puzzles and and symbology for us to look at and play with. And why do they come up in such strange puzzles? Like if our higher self wanted us to learn, why doesn't it give us just a straightforward message? David, you should move to Austin today. David, this way of looking at the world or this perspective is limiting your growth, is stopping you from stepping into your potential. Why doesn't it give us that straightforward message? Well, it's forcing us to stretch our mind. It's forcing us to figure out these puzzles, to play with our emotions, to bypass these internal editors by looking at different perspectives, looking at different possibilities that come from these perspectives, ultimately giving us more choice to choose how we look at life around us. And when we do that, when we truly play with our dreams, and play is an important word because with play, we can, we're, in a, we're in a safe environment. We can try on new hats, new roles, new different mm-hmm. perspectives. When we start to do that and when we see something for ourselves that fits, when we see something that no longer is constricted by these limiting beliefs, well, then we can step into it. And so dreams give us these puzzles to stretch ourselves into bigger and better stories for our life, better narratives to live into our greater potential. And that's, I could go on and on, but that's a, a little bit of the core belief around why these things, these, these bubblings of the night come to us for two hours every single night. I was walking in nature uh, yesterday, <clears throat> uh, listening to your podcast with uh, Ryan Wilms, which everybody yeah. should listen to. Great podcast, Into the Well. 
and you were saying some similar things. And I started to um, like try to look at the world as though I was in a dream, mm -hmm. you know, which takes us back to, to kind of the experience of being in the medicine. And then you're like, well, is this, maybe this is actually the correct way to see things like um, that the construct that I've created and the, the belief system around this, uh, I guess, tangible, uh, mechanical world, it's not, maybe that's not really true. And if I just let myself dream into uh, everything that I'm seeing, like how, how will I experience life? And I'll tell you what happens is like exactly what you said. This, it's like this expansive thing opens up and every bird that flies by or every, the, the sound of the wind and the trees or my footsteps, it all has meaning yeah. and it all feels significant. And it, I could feel how like it, it, it made me feel a deeper connection with life. Like again, more real, also a little scary because it's like, well then what is real? Like, like when we are adjusting from one reality to another, or an orientation, there's that liminal space in between where it's like, you're not exactly sure what's real. And I could also feel the anxiety and tension in that, but there was something like really beautiful about like looking at life as though it's all a dream. And of course we hear this, life is but a dream. I mean, yeah. you know, that's maybe potentially the deepest spiritual truth that we know. Um, but that's that's something that I've been trying to do. And can can I live from that place? Am I willing to to in every moment feel that life is is in dream into life essentially? You know what I'm saying? Completely, completely. completely. That, that a couple of things to 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 jump off on there. Um, one of those last pieces I, I just want to ask you about. You, you said it felt unnerving when all of a sudden you started to question yeah. whether this is real. What what is real? Here. Yeah, well, that's it. Why, why is that unnerving? And it's not a question for you, it's a question for all of us. But why did that feel for you unnerving when all of a sudden you're questioning what's true? Well, I guess I'm in the unknown. There's, there's a sense of uncertainty. Uh, things that were solid now feel not so solid, not so real. I mean, that you know, is this like, and, and the, there's no limitation. That's the other thing. Uh -huh. Like it doesn't feel like uh, I'm constricted by like what's right in front of me. It's like, it, it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know how to articulate yeah. it exactly, but it's just, it's like, it, it's like you feel the expansiveness of the universe and everything that's beyond. And, and you, to feel yourself in that it's, it's a little, I mean, I've, I've felt myself in that and it, and in some way you have to, or I, or I don't I say, speak for me, it's forced me to confront the void. It's like, oh, but when I go through the void, right. And feel into that, what I perceive my mind at least perceives as this emptiness, loneliness, nothingness, mm -hmm. it almost spits me out. And then I'm like, oh no, I'm connected to everything. I am everything. There is only yeah. one thing and I'm an expression of that. And here I am and oh, I can create anything. And God wants that for me. God is like, please 
just create everything that wants to come through you. And then you look around at the cities that we've created in the civilization and even the quote unquote bad stuff that we've done all suddenly starts to feel like beautiful. Like it's just this incredible, like what have we created? It's just magnificent. And it, you get to this place that's beyond right and wrong. It just, there's an isness, and to sit in that space just feels incredibly gratifying. So that, that that's what happened to me while I was listening to you talk on, on the podcast. Yeah, it's very deep, very deep. <laughs> well, you know, that, that, was, that was so beautifully said. And thank you so much for, for sharing that experience. Um, a, a big part of my training has been in Tibetan Buddhist dream yoga, mm. which is this practice of really looking at everything as illusion. Right. What does it mean when everything is illusion, whether it's dream or whether it's awake? What are you really attached to? What are you craving? You know, this idea of equanimity. What, what are you attached to? What are you craving? What are you trying to avert from? And when you're in a dream state and you know it's all illusion, how strong are those cravings or aversions at that point? So in dream yoga, in, in Buddhist dream yoga, a big part of the practice is working on lucid dream. Have you ever had a, a lucid dream, David? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, for those listeners who haven't, this is where you become aware that you're dreaming within a dream and you can carry out intent within your dream. So you all of a sudden have this liberating mo moment of, I am conscious within my dream state. Holy cow. What do I want to do? And there's kind of stages that people go through. First, they want to fly. They want to frolic. Mm -hmm. They want to fuck. They want to do whatever mm -hmm. they can unbridled because it's yeah. a limitless space. Truly, your imagination is your only limitation. And when you're in this space, what does that mean to, to know that it's all illusion, to know that you are limitless? What does it feel like to, to truly be lucid? And what is that, that feeling just as you were walking through the forest yesterday to all of a sudden act? as if waking reality around you was a dream and you can recall or you can be present to that state of lucidity. Okay, I'm going to act as if this was all a dream as well and I am completely lucid. What do I wanna do? Yeah. And that's an incredibly empowering state. That is you living into your creatorship as best as you can. If you're in a lucid dream and you really start practicing, okay, I don't wanna be David anymore. I wanna be two Davids. I want to be my friend so-and-so. I want to be Buffalo, you know, roaming across the plains. I want to be planet Earth. I want to be the universe. I want to just be awareness. You start to transcend the limits of your waking lifestyle. And with that, there's just this inherent, where can I go? What do I want to do? What can I create in this space? And the practice of lucid dreaming, as much as that can provide incredible experiences, incredible emotional charges that you can bring into your waking life, it's a bi-directional practice, meaning great, have lucid dreams, but as well to do that, a lot of the practices act as if you were lucid now. The more you act as if this was a dream and that you were lucid and you carry out your heart's intent, the more you'll be able to do that in the dream state. The more you do that in the dream state, the more you'll remain lucid here in the waking state. And that's ultimately the goal of these practices is to bring conscious awareness, full presence, to every moment and act as if you were lucid continuously. When you're lucid, you don't want to go unconscious. You don't want to fall back into a dream where you're just a witness, where you're not carrying things through. You don't want to fall back into life 
as just a witness or a victim or just part of someone else's story going on. You want to remind yourself, I can be consciously aware now. Now, what do I want to do with this brief time in life or this brief time in the dream? And that's, I think that's a big part of this practice. Empowerment. How do we get each and every one of us to step into our greatest empowerments? I think that's the world we want. I want David being empowered every moment of his day that he can. I want everyone around me stepping into their full empowerments. I don't want people going unconscious. I think that's what, as I've heard you talk about in some of the past podcasts, you know, this is what our algorithms and Silicon Valley companies can take advantage of. Great. Every marketer knows to market to the subconscious mind, to yeah. the unconscious. Let's bring people to full consciousness. And not to, to spin off too far, but I think as you were saying, as we step into this, who are we? What are we doing here? How do we step into our, our greatest our greatest potential in that consciousness? It makes me think that as we're developing this you know, mind-blowing technology and artificial intelligence it's not even close to what we are and what we're capable of. It's almost like we're creating the technology to show us who we really are. And that this, like, it, like as you're speaking, I'm just feeling, yes, this intelligence, this wisdom, like we're, we're just at the beginning to understand like our power and what we can do and our creative capacity. And, you know, I love, I love this idea of, thinking about dreams and studying dreams and really like honoring and paying attention to this two hour window. Like, I love that framework. It's like, listen, you have ceremony every night for two hours, pay attention. Like there's something for you to learn there and you don't necessarily have to interpret every dream and perfectly. It's not about that necessarily. I mean, although there's information there and maybe we can get into that, but it's about the feeling that is evoked, but also it's the orientation you know, it's like that I pay attention to this. This has value. This is this. What you want to talk about technology? How about the technology that is my dream? Yeah. You know, exactly. and what that's trying to show me and the intelligence and information that is in there. And if I can let that guide me, it opens up a whole new world of possibilities and wonder. Completely. I, I couldn't agree more. There's with all of these big, crazy existential challenges that we're facing in life, you know corporatism, environmental destruction, trauma, you, you name it. We've got some big, big issues and we're more aware of them than we've ever been in, throughout human history. There's something that I think is with the psychedelic renaissance that's happening. You know, people are being open to exploring through altered states. We, since the rational enlightenment period through scientific methodologies. The last 500 years have become a very, very wake-centric material species. And that's been really good. That's obviously done so much for us. And uh, it's also led us to just repress, or not repress, but just forget that we're also this whole other aspect of our lives. You know, a lot of dreaming kind of went underground as much as dreaming has been important to most societies, most lineages, most cultures around the world since the beginning of time, hasn't really been that important for us in Western democratic, enlightened uh, Western world in these last little while. And that's completely dissociating from an important aspect of who we are. Every single day for two hours, you are in this altered state of consciousness. 
you are a multi-conscious being. Embrace that. Mm-hmm. Embrace that we get to switch between these consciousnesses. You know, they talk about polyphasic societies, these societies that appreciate knowledge that is derived from any state, waking state, dreaming state, trance, psychedelic use, wherever knowledge is derived. I mean, we talk about the Lakota people, the Sundance, the vision for the Sundance, one of their their biggest, most important ceremonies comes from vision. Many of the traditions have come from dream and vision. We don't really, we're not really that open to it, at least societally or culturally, even though Larry Page, a big part of Google came to him from dream, downloading the entire World Wide Web and the hyperlinks. You look at so many different, the the periodic table of elements, so many different uh, innovations that have dramatically affected our species, our civilization have come from dream. Why aren't we being, why aren't we honoring this? Why aren't we teaching our children just as important as it is at the dinner table? Hey, what did you do today? Why not at that same table at the breakfast table? What did you dream about last night? What emotions were stirred for you? Mm -hmm. What experiences were had? Those are incredibly important. Those were real. And it's one of the biggest disservices I think we do. And it starts at a very young age, you know, children who have nightmares. Don't worry, that wasn't real. It's just a dream. Well, if you just came from a breakup, let's say, and I said, don't worry, you know, that was just a relationship. It's just, you know, it's whatever. I'm completely overlooking the emotional experience you're having. How do we honor that? How do we honor every aspect of our innate human abilities, including dreaming and bring that into our overall knowledge, our overall awareness? How do we acknowledge that we are a multi-conscious species? And I think going back to all those existential questions and risks, our materialism has come to a, a breaking point. How do we become a little less material by honoring that less material aspect of ourself, that other you know, spiritual or consciousness aspect that might have ripple effects and how we present ourselves in our 16 hours of waking life every day? You've probably heard that quote from the Talmud, a, a dream unexamined is like a letter unopened. Yeah, it's beautiful. Which I love. Uh, and may, maybe, you know, for people who are listening, who are curious about how to work with their dreams, is, is there any, do you want to say a little bit about, you know, what you teach or an approach for a beginner yeah. uh, for them to start thinking about and working with their dreams? Yeah, I would love to. So the, the first piece uh, that I teach any student is how to recall your dreams. And many people don't have recall and not remembering their dreams every single night. Why is that? Well, our dreams, our our dream recall, I kind of look at it like a muscle. If we haven't been nurtured in our society to honor that and to say, these are important, this is, we should value this. Well, then we kind of just don't work with it. We haven't worked with our dreams. Our muscle, our dream recall muscle has atrophied. So I get them to do some exercises really quickly. And most everyone can start to recall their dreams with greater and greater frequency, just with a few simple practices pretty quickly. A lot of that is journaling. Just catch your dreams in the morning before they slip from memory. Mm-hmm. Set some intentions before bed. It's, it's shockingly similar to a, the ceremony space, the ayahuasca. Set some intentions. Set some mental architecture up in your psyche, and it will open up as you go to this ultimate state. So first is recall. Start remembering your dreams. If you can't remember your dreams, you can't do anything with them. Once you start remembering your dreams, okay, now what's coming? What starts to come for you? What is the symbology, how do we start to look at the architecture of dreams? And if everything is a projection of you, 
in some way in your dreams, if it's all coming from within you, then what does that symbol say about you? What is that character, even though you may not have ever seen this person before, why is the dream architecting that character and that symbol? And I, I believe everything in every dream is architected perfectly. There's no random just firings of the mind that put these things in. If you take the time and know how to read the symbology and read the, the universe in your dreams, you start to get insights and perspectives and ideas from all sorts of it. So I teach people then what's the architecture and how do you start looking at these different aspects? As well, there's a mindset, which is again, this playful mindset. How do you go about it with some excitement? How do you go to bed every night going, oh boy, where am I going to explore tonight? What's this going to be? How do I, as you sit, having drank the ayahuasca, all right, how do I get centered and prepare for what's about to come? How do you go to bed? Not thinking about your day, not thinking about what you need to do tomorrow. Get open and present so that you're ready to be receptive to the visions that come at night. Mm. Then as you start playing with the visions, as you start to look at interpretation, first of all, I want to say, I believe, I'm a member of the International Association for the, the Study of Dreams, and our first charter in the Ethics and Confidentiality Agreement is no one can interpret your dreams but you. Anyone who says, oh, I can interpret your dreams, there are people who have skills that can open your dreams up and help you. They can help you ask better questions of yourself, but no one can tell you what your dreams mean except you. Why right. is that? Well, a dog comes up in your dream, David, and a dog comes up in my dream. You could say, well, archetypally, all dogs are man's best friend, a symbol of love. Well, that might not be the case for you if you've been bitten by dogs and you have a trauma traumatic response to dogs, whereas I might have 100 dogs in my backyard and love them. So no one can tell you what your dreams mean until you start to play with them. When you get into that, although I should say other people can ask you questions, which open up greater perspectives, which open up greater choice for you. Uh, once you start to play with that, you really start to play with the emotions as well. As I said, emotions are the underlying currency. As you start to look at associations and symbology and all these un unconscious projections, what is that triggering? Where are you finding those similar triggers or those similar emotional responses in waking life? How might this dream be related to how you were responding in waking life when those emotional triggers are set off? How might it be showing you some alternative perspectives, some alternative responses you can have the next time those triggers come up. And as you start to see these different perspectives, as you start to learn from your dreams, then it's not just passively, okay, let's see what comes. You start intention setting, you start incubating dreams. What are the big questions that David is trying to ask himself about life right now? Am I dealing with fear? Great. How can I incubate fear into my dreams? How can I know that I'm in a virtual safe space of altered consciousness in my dream state that I can go and play with fear and it's not going to harm me? How can I start to explore the big questions that I'm asking my life in my life in this state? Once you start incubating, once you start setting bigger intentions and practicing that, that's when a lot of students want to jump off into lucid dreaming, which is I don't want to just interpret and bring it back into waking life. I want to intentionally act and react and respond in the dream state. And again, going back to dream yoga, when you can do that in your dream state, oftentimes the ripple effect comes back to you in waking life. It's kind of like, okay, I've either made that mistake in my dream. I'm going to watch for it in waking life. The next time I'm triggered, mm -hmm. I'll try not to make that mistake again. Or I've already dealt with this situation in a dream. I know how to handle or respond differently. And I'm going to respond differently in so it's, it's such a profound and incredible feature. 
lot of, lot of directions we could go. I, I, uh, I worked with uh, a homeopath and part of the uh, procedure uh, was obviously taking the homeopathic remedy, but then it was to uh, journal my dreams. I ended up uh, recording them into my phone in the morning. And then I would work with him once a month when I had a collection of three or four that felt significant. And, and yes, he wouldn't necessarily interpret, tell me what they meant, but he would, you know, ask questions and illuminate. And it was, I have to say, it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life and the habit of recording my dreams in the morning. Um, and, and, you know, I still have them all on my phone. I mean, I probably have, I don't know, I must have a hundred dreams on my phone. And um, the intention, what you're saying, to set an intention, I because I don't always remember my dreams, but just even recently, and I was, I was lamenting it. I'm like, ah, I'm not remembering my dreams. And my friend was like, well, why don't you just set an intention tonight to remember your dream? And I said, oh, right, yeah, okay. And I did. And then I remembered and it was this very, very powerful dream. So yes, yeah, so I just want to affirm what you're saying. All you have to do is set the intention. Just say, I want to remember my dreams. Start like, start communicating with whatever part of you, the unconscious part of you that dreams and start having a relationship with it and it will come. Yeah, yeah. It will couldn't, come. Couldn't agree more. And there's, there's an art to intention setting. It takes mm. some practice to get really good. So the difference between focus and intention setting, like focus is, is kind of a, a mental aspect of things. I want to remember my dreams. Okay, that's a very rational thought. How do you supercharge that with your emotions? If emotions are the underlying currency that we're looking for here, how do you charge your intentions with emotion? Mm. So do you want to play a quick game with me here? Yeah, of course. David, why do you want to remember your dreams tonight? I want to know more about myself. Why do you want to know more about yourself? I want to be more free. Why do you want to be more free? So I can be more alive and creative and fulfilled. Why do you want to be more alive, creative and fulfilled? Because <laughs> it feels good. Why do you want to feel good? It's better than feeling bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so beautiful. It's a little exercise of getting past the rational mind. You ask yeah. why five times and you start to move from head to heart. Mm. Okay. So we went from, I want to know more about my dreams. It's a rational thought. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to know more about myself. Okay. We're starting to sink, sink a little inward now. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Okay. Why do I want to know about my, more about myself? I want to be more free. Okay. What does that mean? That's a, that's mm. a feeling. That's a, yeah. that's a way of being. Okay. Well, I want to be more alive, creative and fulfilled. Mm. Okay. Now we're starting to talk emotions. Now yes. we're starting to get some charge to it. Yeah. You've just went from, I want to remember my dreams because maybe that would be cool. To because I think this would open up my life to right. my more fuller potential. So with intention setting, that's a big part of the practice. You don't just go to bed writing down, here's my intention, but how do you take a moment to just go, what's beneath these intentions? What's the emotional strength? Why, why, why? And as you start to get to those emotional resonances, it's like you seed that intention mm -hmm. in your psyche with a lot of charge and that opens up in your dream. A lot bigger and, and connects you to your emotions and your dream as well. So there's there's something there's something beautiful about that that way of intention setting. And the other thing I wanted to say just on that is 
just that habit that you got into of starting and ending your days with a little bit of journaling. Uh, definitively, talking into your phone is a good way to do this. I always recommend, though, if you can, if you're going to do a speech, find a speech to text process uh-huh. so that you can get them written down. Why is that? Because much like an ayahuasca ceremony, but much like a weekend of ceremonies, sometimes you're given a vision on night one. You're like, what the hell was that? I have no idea what to do with that. And on night two, okay, there's another vision. I, I still don't get it. That has nothing to do with anything else I saw. And then on your final night, night three, the medicine ties a thread between these disparate visions and shows you something profound and complex Mm. and something you needed to work through to get to that grander vision. When you start to work with a dream journal, if you'll review on a monthly basis, you'll start to see meta themes and patterns that show up that may not show up on any single night. You may say, oh, wow, 80% of my dreams were anxiety inducing. 60% of my dreams had this shadowy character that came up. 20% of my dreams were always in a fun house. What is that? And you start to see these patterns Mm -hmm. that come up. And when you see these meta themes and these meta patterns, you start to be able to see meta trends that pervade in your life as in your waking life as well. And that can be really important. Uh, And some of the, some of the biggest insights that I get every day, every day when I write in my journal, I always flip back to what was it? What was my dreams a year ago? Right. And there's always some interesting synchronicities, some serendipitous pieces that are like, huh, exactly a year ago, I had this dream, how it's related to the dream I had last night, always opens things up for me. It's not like there's cracking, oh, you do this or do that. But again, my mind is stimulated to look at things from a different perspective. Do you think that dreams can be prophetic? Absolutely. I had an experience once, this is not really prophetic, but it's, it's connected to it where I dreamt about, it was an anxiety dream. A friend, an old friend had asked me to read a script that he had written and I never got around to reading it. And I always felt bad about it. And it's a certain point it was too late to, to kind of like, Hey, <laughs> just, I kind of just left it. And, uh, and then I had a dream about, uh, the anxiety and feeling bad about it. And, and then the next day he called me. And he said, hey, did you ever read that script? I said, no, sorry, it's funny. I had a dream about it last night. I always felt bad about not reading it. Oh, because I was just thinking about it, like maybe producing it and would you want to do it? This is back when I was an actor. And it was completely freaked me out, you know? But it just, it's like, again, it's like, like, you know, we're talking about one aspect of it, but now you're talking about you know, I don't know, telekinesis. I I don't know how you want to describe it, but the collective unconscious where everything is connected and maybe he'd been thinking about that and we're somehow connected in some plane of existence and that impacts the dream that I have, you know, which also makes me think like, and I'd love to get your perspective on this as well. I always feel like uh, sometimes our dreams or our anxieties are, they belong to us individually, but they're also collective. I mean, how can what we're going through right now, all the insanity in the world right now, there, there's a collective anxiety and that's gotta be manifesting yeah. in our dreams. Completely. Well, we see that even in COVID, there's a, there's a 
a woman named Deirdre Barrett who works at Harvard Medi- Medical School, and she's been studying COVID dreams, a big database, oh. go online and see it and see how many people are dreaming about COVID and how that's, that's manifesting in their dreams. We've seen that. We've actually studied that going into World War II. Young, uh, Carl Young had big prophetic dreams of seeing all of Western Europe, the mountains being covered in blood. He didn't know what to do with this until the war broke out. And it's like, ah, okay, this was, this was showing me what's, what's coming. So definitively, I think there's, there's an aspect of um, prophecy that comes in dreams. And that's, that's one of the pieces that uh, as well I teach and which is, I think, super, super important, which is honoring your dreams. You have someone that comes in your dream that you haven't thought about for 20 years, send them an email, a Facebook messenger note or whatever the next day saying, hey, long time, no love lost, you were in a dream, hope you're well. It doesn't have to be anything more than that, but just honor the dream by sending something out. You'll be shocked at how often that person will be like, wow, I've been thinking about you. Wow. I wanted to talk to you about this and something opens up in your world. When you start to honor and read the signs, both of waking life and in dreaming life, you start to see synchronicity. Again, a young term. Uh, how do you see these different aspects starting to tie together? How can they show you more than just what we, you know, our, our mm-hmm. personal viewpoints and perspectives might show us. So that's, that's an incredibly important aspect of this. And I, I kind of feel like students that have been working with me for some time, they're starting to just create a conversation between their daytime and their nighttime. It's just now one big conversation. So they see things in dreams, they watch for them. A dream, you know, you had a school bus in your dream last night. All of a sudden they see a school bus pass by the next morning and that triggers a whole bunch of insights and there's something to act on. There's some emotional charge that's there that gets them to take action in some way or another. And I think ultimately that's what dreams are. They're a call to action. Mm. They're always asking us to do something. It's just like the insights in an ayahuasca ceremony. You can have all the insights in the world. How do you integrate them? What do you do with them? You don't do anything with them and you go back for the next ayahuasca ceremony. Great. You just want to hear the same things again. You want to see the same things. You haven't done anything with it. Let's learn these lessons again. Let's burn these into your psyche a little bit harder this time until you learn what there is to transcend here. You alluded to this earlier, but the idea that uh, the dream is a, uh, an expression of our unconscious. So like we are every aspect of our dream in some way. And that's, that's the way that I was taught to interpret my dreams. Like you are everyone in your dream. And, and one of the practices that I would do would, would be to write a journal from other characters perspective in the dream and to see what they had to say or what they had to teach me. And now what I've started doing, it's like, well, going back to life is just a dream. What if I do that in my real life? Like I assume that everybody I'm coming into contact with, it's not random. It's for a reason. They're here to show me something. There is some aspect of myself in them. And again, it, 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 it forces you, it brings you into presence, forces you, you're not uh, going necessarily going to be less, you're going to be less reactive because you're, if you're, if, if I'm seeing you as some aspect of myself that I'm having a conversation with, it completely changes the dynamic, and it also creates a, a whole different level of intimacy. And yeah. 
I've been trying to play with that. Again, it's a completely different orientation to life, but it's, it does, it makes, I don't know. There's something that I'm really enjoying about like, just like life is magic. Life is magic. And, and there's, there, there's a lot that you, you, you said there to unpack from, from a dream yoga perspective, we have to watch. We have to be, it's very important to go into it and start to look at, okay, the universe is, is teaching me. Everything is curriculum here, dream or waking life. How do I look at it? How do I look at that person? Are they a projection of some aspect of myself I haven't integrated or haven't fully processed? Projection can come waking life or dreaming, of course. The, there's a, a very, you know, a thin line, a very narrow road to walk, a very narrow path to walk with this because if you fall off the path on one side, you get solipsism, which is kind of like, I am, I, everything is about right. me. It's all me. And that can be important. That frame, this is all curriculum for me, can stir you into learning. This is the matrix around you. This is, the simu- this right. is your simulation data. All of it is for you. And that can be a, a perspective that can help as long as it doesn't deteriorate to egocentricism. That, yes. You know, it's all me. It's all about me. The other side of that path, is constructivism, which is, you know, I've manifested everything here. My cancer, this experience, all of that. Now, that can be super helpful. That can be, yeah, you are manifesting everything. And just like in any dream, there's otherness going on. There is some aspects beyond you that you're not either ready to incorporate that aren't to be incorporated. So it's this fine line of looking at everything as an opportunity for exploration. You said that before with the habit, starting and ending your days with this, this mindset, which is transitioning from one state of consciousness to another, just taking a pause before we get racing mm. today, taking a pause to get centered before we drop into sleep and dream time and setting a mindset of curiosity, of explorativeness, of playfulness. You're a cartographer of your own psyche. You're going in to map the universe as you go to dream. You're getting into your day ready to explore what life has for you. That mindset puts you in a place of questioning. That mindset gets you open to pushing past your limited beliefs, your limited horizons. And again, that's, I think, a very, very important place to play for all of us, particularly right now. I've I've heard some of your past podcasts recently, which I think are great. And and the fears of speaking your mind, the fears of pushing up against boundaries of thought and schools of thought. I think all of this needs to be questioned now more than ever. Our news, our sources of everything going on, we, sh- we have a very good reason to question everything. Mm-hmm. But as we started this conversation, fear and what, what is our subconscious, but a lot of repressed you know, fears that are pushed down. Fear stops our question-making mechanism. Fear puts us into fight or flight. We don't care to explore anymore. I just want out. I just want to stop. This is overwhelming. And so a big part of any dream work practice is shadow work. Is digging into all of these aspects. And I think ultimately, like I said, the, the practitioner that we sat with when he started, David and Goliath, Goliath is your fears. This is a continuous process of looking at our fears for all the challenges that we're facing in life. It's never about us and them. It's never about the environment or a COVID or a Democrat or a Republican right. or a Bilderberg or whatever, you know, is going on. It's all about our fears. It's always, all, always been all about our fears. 
And so how do we get in touch with that? How do we come into right relationship with our fear? Because fear is ultimately an emotion. We can't escape our fears. We shouldn't escape our fears, just as we shouldn't escape our grief or our joy. How do we come into right relationship with that fear rather than dissociating from that emotion? Because when we use that emotion really well, it is the most energized emotion that we have on purpose. We might need that energy for fight or flight or freeze, whatever that is. But when we're in right relationship, we can use that bundle of energy for transcendence to get beyond wherever we're at right now. And that's, that's a really important aspect of, of this practice as with ayahuasca, as with so many modalities. That is really everything you just said is what I've been thinking about. Just fear, like learning to be with your fear. That was the, the be with. That was the mantra that I developed in the isolation when there's nowhere to go. There's there's nothing to do. You're hungry. Emotions are coming up. It was just be with, be with, be with, yeah. and it's all you can do is really be with your fear. And you can, if you can learn to be with your fear and not create stories around it, you know, which are more than likely going to be distorted. Um, and just, yeah. And, and then tra- that energy then becomes transmuted. And I think now more than ever, it's like we, like everybody's afraid. I, I don't know anybody, if you really deep dig down, everybody's got fear. How can you not have fear right now? We don't even know what's real. Right. You know what I mean? Nobody understands what's going artificial intelligence. It's like, does anybody really uh, fucking understand what that is? Does even the guys who are doing it understand? I listen to them talk. They don't seem to know. They're creating this thing. It's going to have a life of its own. We have this COVID. There's all kinds of mixed messages. Yeah. Nobody, can we trust anything? Like we're all living in this state of unknown. So of course it's bringing up this fear and anxiety, but it's an opportunity. That's, that's what's happened for me. It's like, okay, if I can learn to navigate this space, and relax into it. And you know, occasionally I'm gonna lash out and be triggered and all that, that's, that's fine, it's, yeah. it's part of my humanity. But if I can continue to orient myself, right? And ground myself and just be with my fear and accept it. That's, that to me has been the biggest gift uh, that I've given myself is when I just say to myself, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm triggered, whenever I'm agitated, frustrated, I just, what's actually going on here? And I de- my default is probably you're just afraid. And then if I can sit with that, I don't even have to have a story about what does it mean? It's just like, no, I'm afraid. I have fear. And then just be with that fear and don't act out from that place or draw conclusions about it or feed into the narrative, whatever side, exactly, whatever side you're on, you know, just to learn to be with it. And I feel like if we can teach more and more people to do that, right? And get out of the narratives, get out of the story. That's where the transcendence comes because it, it, once you learn to be with your fear, it, there's nowhere else to go. It takes you right to God. Yeah. I it takes you that. right to spirit. I, I couldn't agree more. Fear is what limits all of our abilities to experience our emotions and our emotions are everything. Like I said, this dream work is all about emotional work as well. Our emotions are humanity's full capacity to experience life. It's not thinking about things, it's feeling into things. And our fear stops us from feeling our full grief, feeling our full joy. Oh, I shouldn't feel this good. There's lots of other things that I should. Fear stops us, you know, limits our love. Fear is the thing, that's the the, the withholder of us 
fully opening our emotional bandwidth and spectrum, which is, I think, a big piece of all of this work. If I can learn to love bigger, grieve more, be more empathetic, connect, well, what, what, where does that get us? And that's all coming into right relationship with fear. We need fear. It's an important emotion. I don't want to ever get rid of it. I need that. I, you talked about walking through the forest. I, I was listening to your podcast yesterday, walking through the forest behind my house. I stopped at one point. I'm listening to uh, another book called Letting Go, The Pathway to Surrender by David Hawkins. It's a fantastic book, all about our emotions. And it's all getting into fear. It's all, and I'm really sitting there. I'm processing my experiences with fear. Just like you said about your ayahuasca ceremonies, my last year has just been fear, fear, fear. Mm. I'm really coming into relationship with it. So I'm listening to this podcast. I'm feeling my fear. And all of a sudden, I look up. And I swear to you, I am four feet away from the biggest black bear I have ever seen in my life and instead of feeling fear i paused but as soon as i I saw it i'm like i don't feel afraid i was so deep in my fear in that moment this feels less fearful i was deep into existential fear of not existing and you know nothingness and all of a sudden this bear is there and in that moment i was able to just appreciate it like wow i may never be this close to a bear again i'm just going to take this moment and just appreciate it and without the fear that moment became something so much more. Slowly backed away, took my, my steps away, but it was just this, this resonation afterwards of like, look at when you're in right relationship with fear, how much more opens up to you. There's nothing more you could have done. You did the right things. You stopped, you paused, you backed up. But what a beautiful manifestation and lesson and curriculum there of just, okay, I took you to a deep, 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 deep place of fear. So when this other fear came up, you didn't lose your mind. You didn't run. You didn't do something foolish. You experienced this present moment of being with a bear for what was probably a once in a lifetime thing. And I have to share one other piece, which is I just heard a comedian. There's a funny guy named John Steinberg and he's a Canadian guy. And he's like, you know, lots of other societies, they'll, they'll lick a toad and that'll be a psychedelic experience. It's like, I think we actually have lots of psychedelic animals in Canada. We've just never tried licking them. He's like, if you ever get that close to a bear, try licking it. See what happens. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, all of that to, to just speak to, I, I think this is part of our big work with all of these issues we're facing, not understanding reality. What is all of this? Is this a simulation? Is this a whatever it is? How do we work with fear? Because if there was ever an end game, of the human experiment, the human experience, what would that look like? And for me, that's, that's the highest frequency. That's love. That's getting past the blocks of fear to fully express ourselves, to fully feel ourselves. And so ayahuasca, dream work, energetics, all of these pieces, I think are important tools for us in our toolkit to, to deal with this, our most important emotion. Cordell Jacks, thank you. Thank you.